Welcome to the Investor Shed Podcast with Nick Beveridge, the ultimate source for all things investing and beyond. For free tools, tips, and tricks, go to NorthIdahoREI.com. Today's episode features Nathan Helm. Nathan is a seasoned real estate investor who primarily focuses on multifamily investments in Washington State. He has perfected his property management systems with over 80 personal units and owns his own construction company. Stay tuned. Nathan. Hey, how's it going? Very good. How are you? I'm pretty well. Thanks for coming in. Yeah. This is the brand new, here. brand new media room here at Keller Williams. It's, we, yeah. We got a plant, <laughs> a wall, and behind that wall are some bathrooms. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe you'll pay attention to the audio. You might be able to hear toilets flush. Pay attention. <laughs> it's a horrible way to start. Yeah. But Nathan, so... Um, you are a, uh, you're kind of like a mega investor. I guess that's what you call me now. <laughs> um, you got over 84 units. Yeah. And counting. And counting, yeah. Um, I'm poised for growth, actually, right now. Um, the the real hurdle for me is the the current market. So yeah, uh, I, I invest for cash returns, essentially. So if... You know, if I if I was waiting for uh, additional market growth, maybe I would be able to continue to invest. But for cash returns, I'm just kind of holding for the most part right now. So okay. wait, waiting for opportunity. Yeah, and right now it's a uh, middle of 2020. Yeah. Um, so take us back. Mm-hmm. Um, what first got you interested in real estate investing, and when was this? Um. I've actually always been interested in real estate and had kind of a knack for both uh, evaluating the numbers, the returns, as well as the construction side. So uh, I, I actually started right out of uh, college. I bought my first house and it was, it was my personal home. However, I bought it for the return, essentially. I knew I wasn't going to be living. That was in Longview, Washington, mm-hmm. and I knew I wasn't going to be there forever. So I found a property that was priced decent in the market with an upside potential and did a remodel and ended up turning it from a three-bed, one-and-a-half bath to a four-bed, two-bath. Oh, okay. And, and sold it for 100000 more than I bought it for after just over two years. Not too bad. So, <laughs> not bad, and that ended up being the seed money, actually. Yeah. That was back in 2005 when I... Oh, no, I listed it in 2005. I sold it right at the beginning of 2006 and uh, turned that one house into a second house, uh, a duplex and a fourplex, and I've been growing since then. So nice. that, that 100000 was the seed money for where I am today. And that was a pretty decently hot market back then, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I actually got criticized for buying three properties in 2006 when yeah. I did it. You know, it's funny looking back, though. Like I would have loved to buy properties right at the peak back then. I'd be yeah. sitting just fine today. <laughs> well, I, I bought for the cash flow. Yeah. You know, so um, the mortgages were paid. Uh, I had I needed just, if I kept about 50% occupancy, I could pay all the bills. So the other 50, I reinvested into uh, improvements and ultimately did, you know, a little sweat equity and did a cash out refi. And I've been kind of following that pattern ever since, finding properties that need that they're either, uh, if you want to call it, under-maintained 
or yeah. uh, poor, poorly managed properties as well. Those are great ones because that means the the rents are low, and you know you just do a little little rehab and have a little nest egg, keep it rolling. So, do you remember what actually got you interested in real estate investing? Like, what what was the tree? The yeah. little. So it's kind of a weird thought process, but uh, as I was going through college initially, uh, this is like really big rewind. Um, I was I was looking at careers that would give me a pretty decent decent pay pay, I guess uh, salary salary whatever yeah. you call it. Anyway, but I've always kind of been interested in working for myself as well. And uh, I was looking at like the whole doctor lawyer type thing, and yeah. had uh, was really interested in being an uh, orthopedic surgeon. But as I looked at how doctors and lawyers get paid, they only get paid when they show up. And I was like, "Huh, all right. You, as long as I show up, that's a lot of money, <laughs> yeah. right?" However, uh, I'm kind of interested in getting paid for not showing up. Right. So I. So I how many years into college did that go two through years. your mind? It took me two years. Two years. And I okay. ended up taking a business class and was like, "All right, I'm switching paths." Um, so I was, you know, kind of I was in the prereq side of things. So looked for careers where I could have more of a, a long-term impact, long-term pay, mm-hmm. f- without necessarily having to be in front of customers all the time, and real estate meshed perfectly with that especially when you're talking about um rentals because you know i have i have renters who i have renters that i don't think i've seen for a couple years that (laughs) still send page or still send their rent checks in and uh everything's hunky-dory so right yeah because you manage all your rentals too right yeah we have we're pretty well vertically integrated so uh, I'm the investor. Uh, I have a general contractor's license, so we work for ourselves. Okay. Um, uh, rehabbing properties, we also hire ourselves out for other jobs, for other investors, or you know, just flat out, um, uh, you know, like home home remodels. Um, we specialize in residential for the most part. Um, so when then, you keep seeing, you keep saying we. Just so do you do you have my employees wife with you? Your wife? Oh yeah, okay. yeah. So we. Yeah, my wife and I are the team. Okay. Essentially, we run the show. Right. Not I. So are you also, mostly, and when you say you're the contractor, are you be, like you're the general contractor I'm the and general. you have a contracting company? Are you, but you're not out there swinging hammers, right? Very rarely. Okay. Sometimes I am. Sometimes. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you get your hands dirty. Yeah, yeah. And and a lot of this is built upon, you know, the what what I've done over the years. I mean, when I first started, the the only person that was working on the properties was me and whoever I could have trick into coming and working for me for a few days here and there. Um, but at this point we're, um, looking at, we have two employees that work in the field full time. Uh, we have one office employee that works full time along with my wife and we have, we're actually looking to hire two more, uh, a, a crew lead and another, uh, crew member Gotcha for the construction side. So right now, with all that you have going on, you only essentially have three employees. Is that what I'm when hearing? It's all, when it's all in, um, no, it'll be five. It'll be, it will be five. Okay, yeah. does that include yourself and your right wife? Now. Nope. Okay. Nope, I'm actually trying to scale myself out of the business. Okay. So it's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> so um, if we can go back again to your first deal, mm-hmm. 
um, you're straight out of college. How mm-hmm. are you able to buy a house straight out of college? Did you have a, did you have a good job or right flat away? Out, or? Flat out hustle. Hustle. So okay. I, I graduated college with no debt. Uh, I paid mm-hmm. all, all my tuition going all the way through. Um, I was, I got married after my first two years in college as well. So my wife was working full time and I was working about 35 hours a week. So when it was all said and done, uh, you know, there's nothing, nothing more than grit and hard work that went into it okay. and just being smart. Cause I had 20 grand in the bank the day that I graduated. Wow. So that did the down payment and, and you paid for your own college everything. paid my way through. Yeah. Good on you, man. That's, yeah. that's tough to do. Yeah. Most people just take a loan, well, figure a it out people, later, people and then like they to, don't. Yeah, people like to party. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's just a different mentality. Yeah. You know? So All right. I've been, I've been uh, kind of on the fringes of, I guess, what uh, what people normally do for quite a while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So you're a long-term thinker. I would say that, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you buy that first house. A couple years later, you, you put your own, I'm guessing, your own sweat equity into it. Uh-huh. You turn it into a four two. You yeah. you flip it a couple years later. Yeah. Um, what's the next house you buy? Do you move into that one as well? Uh, I actually, so we bought a fourplex and a duplex and a house. But fourplex I, and a duplex and a house. Yeah. All, all so at the same I, time. All at the same time. Like literally, like oh. within within a month. So I, I took that hundred grand and I just split it three different ways. Found okay. three deals that I was interested in, and um, we didn't move into the house though. You would think, you know, you buy a fourplex and duplex in the house, you move into the house. I moved into the duplex, okay, uh, and the house stayed vacant, and I did a remodel on it. So ended up tearing the roof off and adding adding a second story. So wow. that one was a, that was an interesting project. It was an old craftsman, and uh, I matched nineteen uh, twenties style construction through the whole thing. So it has. Uh, that one went from 1,100 square feet to 3,000 square feet when it was all done. Did you have like contracting experience prior to diving mm, into this? No, um, no. I had worked with my hands like for my dad growing up, but that was not that was that was manual labor type stuff. So I think a lot of it's been you know just being the capacity to put ideas together and make them happen. So okay. I'm not the guy that was swinging the hammer on the second on that second okay. story either. I, I I hired good contractors to get me to the point where all I was doing was the final finish work. So um, like I did I did the doors and the the, the flooring and I mean minus carpet and stuff like that. All I did all the tile work myself, but I don't, I don't frame, I don't roof, I don't, uh, I didn't do the plumbing on that one. I actually did my own electrical though. I've, I rewired the whole house on my own. So a little right bit, a little bit here and there. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, um, do you mind if we dive deep into the, the details about this, if you can remember? Um, so you go from one house yeah. to now you have seven units, mm-hmm. duplex, fourplex, mm-hmm. and a single family. Yeah. Moving to the duplex. Um, what'd your cash flow situation look like once you got everything rented and versus like what your mortgages were? Uh, so Do you remember, yeah, that was, I was sitting at about 50% of my 50% of the total rents were my overhead, meaning, okay. meaning my mortgage. Actually, it was probably a little bit more than that. Cause I'm not counting, um, I'm not counting Utilities. the insurance. Water sewer garbage was included in that 50%, okay. but the the insurance and property taxes weren't. So all in, I was probably closer to about 
spot, you know, 60, 40, I'll, I'll just call it that. Okay. You know, uh, it was a pretty sweet deal. You know, the fact that I had some of that, some of that rent was able to be put in reserves toward remodels in the future. Yeah. So do you remember what your cash flow situation was like back then? Like how much were you netting approximately mm-hmm. each month? Mm-hmm. That I don't know. Okay, that, I'm just I'm just a, curious. That's a big rewind, but yeah. I'll, I'll I'll actually give you the numbers from when I bought it. Okay, uh, so I'll use the fourplex as an as an example. Uh, the fourplex uh, it had gross rents coming in of twenty one hundred, mm-hmm. and I bought it for one eighty five. Okay, um, and you know obviously you got your mortgage and stuff on that. So the way I made my decision on that was really really basic uh i i I use the one percent rule essentially where i was like if i if i'm gonna buy it for 185 can i pull at least you know 1800 1900 a month in rent out of the deal day one Mm -hmm. and the numbers were super simple it was 2100 so i was like all right i'm gonna pull the trigger on that um and that was me kind of learning along the way but i thought okay that's a really safe way for me to invest thing is nobody taught me the one percent rule i just was like <laughs> you just guessed this is this is i know these are safe numbers that's how yeah. i did it and um and then quickly within the next year um i started doing remodels and got my rents up to from 500 for a two-bedroom unit to 750 and then they they've just gone up i still own that building and the, oh, the wow. two bedrooms at this point in that building are rented for 950 to a thousand dollars a month so um, and then I got a three bedroom that's uh-huh. rented for twelve hundred a month in that building. So you know, considering total rents were twenty one hundred, um, we're now looking at you know close to four grand a month. So that. yeah, so in the last uh, what thirteen years or so, mm-hmm. rents have doubled. Yeah, that's for me. They have for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's but I, I I push I push a Feel little bad bit for the locals. Well, <laughs> I no I push value into the property. Right. Though. Okay, that's right. You do because I. Up. Yep, because it's it's honestly not the same unit okay. as it was, you know, in two thousand six when I bought it. Um, obviously, the the square footage is the same, but the finishes are different. Um, thing is, I you know, it's all it's all. Um, it, everything that I've done though is more so the cosmetics on the unit. I haven't changed the the bones of it. I actually didn't even have to change the cabinets out in any of them. So mm-hmm. I've owned it for um, close to 15 years at this point, and it still has the cabinets in it from 1960s when it was built. Nice. They're solid. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah, why tear them out? <laughs> as long as people pay rent for it, I'm good. Nice. <laughs> and it's a comfortable place, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, I hope you don't mind I'm diving deep. I just want to know what, you know, what's the realistic progression to get to 80-something units? Um, yeah. And so you 2003, you go from mm-hmm. right out of college, you just buy, you buy a house, you move into it, yep. you fix it up. Right. You sold it two years later, you go from one house to seven mm-hmm. units. Sorry, mm-hmm. not seven houses, three properties. Yeah. How much, uh, and then you're living in the duplex, how much time goes by until you get the next property and what did that look like? It was actually pretty slow because I... Um, because I was learning along the way. Yeah. Um, you know, nobody's a professional investor to the day they buy their first property. And if they, if they say they are, they're lying, mm-hmm. uh, because you're always learning. Um, but the time period for me was, um, from 2006 to 2011, I didn't buy anything. And okay. I, I closed on my next property, 
I believe it was 2011 when I did that. It might have been early 2012. But that ended up snowballing me a little bit because and the, the other catch point between in this whole time is you know the market crashed yeah. in 08. But you survived it. You I, kept your properties, right? We actually did really well. So that's mm-hmm. where um, you had people who were criticizing, you know, the investor people that yeah. came in at the top of the market because my numbers were good mm-hmm. in 06, the, the decline in the market overall in property values had actually had zero impact on me. I've heard that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. M- most of the people I was renting to couldn't qualify for a home loan anyway. So they were happy to pay rent. And in one case, we actually rented to somebody in the duplex who lost their home. And it was a very, for, for the investor side of things, it was a really easy time for me to find renters. And in that case, I raised rent a little bit. You know, money was tight for everybody, but yeah. collecting rent wasn't hard because it was, uh, you know, it was a necessity in life. Everybody needs a place to live. And just because the market's on, a, on the skids doesn't mean you're going to go homeless for the yeah. most part. So anyway, yeah. that's that's kind of where we came in. People um, usually make their housing payment before they make their boat payment. Yep, or the credit card payment, <laughs> or, or, credit or card. the cell phone payment. Yep. Sometimes, yeah, yeah, it's it's usually pretty close to the top of the list. Yeah. Um, so anyway, things 08 to eleven were pretty slow, um, and but that's I was pressing additional value into the properties during that time. Banks, so you were making improvements these five years. Right. And right. banks weren't super excited to lend on properties. Um, so even when I looked for my refi in 2011, which funded the next deal, um, it was it was it seemed like it was a uh, kind of multi-step process where they were a little bit hesitant. And I actually got told during that time as well uh, by the bank, the primary bank that I was using told me that they had no interest in non-owner occupied properties. It was not something they wanted to invest, quote unquote, or lend on. Right. Uh, I don't bank with them anymore, surprisingly. Because yeah. primary residences did so well. At that yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the multifamilies, which actually collected pretty decent rent. That they backwards weren't interested thinking, huh? Yeah. So I, I kicked against the pricks a little bit during that time period, found found a good cash out refi. And the, th- the thing is, I was looking for cash. Okay. The cash out refi was what they were hesitant on. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, we pushed forward. Was on Fannie Mae just not offering that at the time or were, or was it bank overlays? You know, I don't know what was driving it. I just know as a consumer that I was, you know, literally knocking, you know, uh, cold calling banks at that point. Okay. Um, trying to find somebody that was willing to lend. And the thing is, I, I already owned four properties. So mm-hmm. in that time period, the lending was a little bit tight. Yeah, that's right. And I owned four properties, and they were looking at, like, oh, where's the threshold on this guy? Yeah. I was I was considered, at that point, high risk. High risk because you are financially because stable. A, <laughs> because I'm a great investor, yeah. 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 So that was that anyway. That was what I was uh, bumping up against. Um, so that um, anyway, it was a, it was a little bit of a, a learning process as well. And that that process actually learned or taught me how to work with banks. And I became more savvy in giving banks what they're looking for. To the point now where you know I I ask a bank for money and they I actually 
I'm under contract to buy a property right now, and I had banks fighting to give me a lower rate so that they could get the deal. That's great. That's a, that's a unique position to be in as well. Um, so um, I point is I escalated in 2012. I went from the 8 to I think I went to 13 almost immediately. And then in 2014. So what, what are these other, were single family or multifamily? Almost all multifamily. Almost all. And are they small multifamily or do you have any apartments? I do. Yeah. So I have, um, my biggest is 18 units. Um, but I have 18 units. I have a 10 unit. I have a, I have a 13 unit property, but it's all duplexes. So okay. It's kind of unique. I own an entire cul-de-sac oh, of cool. duplexes. So how'd you buy that? Um, interesting. Did you make it? <laughs> no. Um, so it was an investor that was coming up on their, um, their call on their loan and confided in the bank that they weren't a very good investor and needed to get out. And my loan officer who I had done a deal with previously called me up and said, this may be of interest to you. So I, it was on referral. Wow. So he's like, you, you do the deal, you figure out how, you know, what you're going to pay for the deal, but the guy doesn't want to be a landlord anymore. It's got to be a unique position where you own every house on a little cul-de-sac. Yeah. It's like you can pretty much improve the neighborhood. Yeah. It, well, that's, that's actually want. how I describe it. Or you it. can run it down. <laughs> totally right. Um, you have complete control. When people come to look at the, at the duplexes, they say, well, how's the neighborhood? And I say, well, I control the neighborhood, so it's pretty good. You know, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and it's always one of those, you know, uh, lighthearted type things yeah. because people, you know, they, they want to be, they want to live in a safe place. They want to know that not only the, the immediate apartment or duplex that they're renting is safe, but also that the community that they live in is nice. Do you so, mind, do you mind opening up a little bit about the numbers of this street that you bought with the duplexes like, and what, what did it cost you and what does it make you? Sure. Um, so there's 13 units, um, with a laundry coin op laundry on it. Um, trying to think the exact price I paid. I think it was 630,000 for the 13 units. Wow. Uh, That's what I, uh, yeah, I originally, so uh, my original, what what area of town? It's actually in Deer Park. In uh, Deer Park. Okay. North of Spokane. Yeah. Yeah. My brother lives out there. Yeah, so do I. So it was, that was part oh, okay. of the reason the banker called me. He goes, this is your neighborhood. I don't know what the investments are like out in Deer Park. but I didn't even know, you know there were duplexes out there. There's, <laughs> that's, that's actually, it's kind of a sweet spot because uh, Deer Park is not the easiest town to build in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so do, there's not a lot of, uh, we're getting more developers coming in, but uh, not a lot of multifamily. So it's a it's an underserved market. It's kind of a bedroom community to Spokane. Spokane's growing on the north side already. So um, rents in Deer Park are equal to or higher than they are in Spokane for the, for an equivalent unit. I can imagine that. Yeah. So it's a nice area. Yeah. Um, so the banker that brought you this deal did he finance it for you too? Of course he did. <laughs> so <laughs> how much down did do you remember how much down you had to put? Uh, I, I plan for 25% down on all of my deals. Okay. So, um, and then, yeah, that's, I think that's what, I think that's what I put in cause that's, that's pretty common. It was a commercial loan as well. Commercial so loan, we ended yeah. up, we ended up financing the entire, um, cul-de-sac on one loan, even though it's three parcels. 
So okay. I call it a 13-unit property, but the way they have the cul-de-sac divided, it's a, it's a fourplex and a fourplex and a fiveplex is essentially okay. how it's divided out. But uh, it, it feels like its own little community. So anyway, got that for 630. How long have you owned that? Not crazy long. I think I bought that. I think I bought that in 2016. Okay. Yeah. Is that um, pretty easy to manage then? Well, when you have it's it's all about scale, you know. Mm-hmm. Like I, my my recommendation for like a ma pa type investor, if you want to call them that, is if you have anything under ten units, you should probably just turn it over to a management company because the hassle isn't worth it. You know, you have to manage legal documents, you have to manage, you know, like landlord tenant law. Um, and un- unless you have some processes in place yeah. and can put some backing behind that, um, it becomes a hassle. And and that's the I've always managed my own units. However, I've always planned on scaling higher. So right. we've used the time while we were managing our own properties to really learn what the what works and doesn't work and I've paid lawyers a fair amount to to make sure that I'm right. Right. Um <laughs> so that's kind of been the learning process, you know, yeah. for me. I'm not a realtor. So, you know, a lot of people think that they need to be a realtor in order to understand the market, but uh for me, I I kind of because I only manage my own stuff to date, um I don't in Washington, you can you're totally fine to do that. And I actually have I launched with when I got to the point where I was I was about 65 units and I got to the, and, and I had a number of um, properties that were paying to their own individually owned LLC and it just became kind of a burden to have checks coming in for it sounds sounds kind of stupid right it became a burden to have checks coming in in the name of multiple LLCs yeah. So we, we put kind of a brand to it mm-hmm. and launched a property management company that everybody pays into the single property management company, and then we divide it out on the back end. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can. <laughs> People are saying, oh, poor Nathan. <laughs> All these life, checks coming oh, in. Yeah. Life's tough, you know. With these different like, names. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, Just, think, I think the saying of more money, more problems is actually yeah. true, you know. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a lot of responsibilities. More to think about. And mm-hmm. and the thing is, you have to be I'm, really well organized when you start scaling. Hundred percent. And you know, uh, it's not. I'm not just dealing with numbers and paperwork. Mm-hmm. I'm dealing with people's lives. So I, I feel a heavy responsibility to make sure that you know I have some responsibility to the the folks that rent from us as well. Yeah. Part of what I love about my like I I use property man a property manager, mm-hmm. um, but I I started off doing it on my own. And I was able to manage one unit kind of, but I kind of realized pretty early on, I knew I, I wanted to scale someday and I wasn't mm-hmm. going to be the private manager. So I should always make sure I budget for it sure, and just do it. But I remember when I hired a property manager, he was able to get a little bit more in rent, which covered his fee mm-hmm. and they were able to take over. I didn't realize that they would be able to take over like all the billings for you yep. know, water, sewer, garbage and all that. And just, right. they were so much more organized than mm-hmm. I would have been. So I, part of what I'm paying for is organization. Yep. And when you do your taxes too, if you're, and I might be wrong on this, but you're not, I'm not really paying 8% because if I did it on my own, um, 
I would be paying taxes on the money I'm making versus if I'm paying a property manager. It goes, um, well, that 8% it, goes to the property manager pre-tax. Right, yeah, but it it's still an expense right. for right. me. Yeah. So I'm really paying closer. If I were to do it myself versus a property manager, it's really about 6% is what the actual fee is unless i'm if does that make sense yeah unless i'm doing it myself right and you just don't have the headache um but i it's just so much easier to just not i don't know any of my tenants Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's a huge burden off my head mind i don't know i i really see and but you could you you show up to the property and they just think it's some creepo standing outside sure and it's your property so that's nice yeah yeah (laughs) it's great uh, I guess you always have to have the right property manager. Um, That's true. Yeah, not. But, uh, I'm not, very pro property manager. I don't. Sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and the thing is, you you your point is is very similar to the point that I made. That until you scale and can pay for employees to do your job for you, mm-hmm. um, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Like for when I was at six units, I probably shouldn't have been my own property manager. But over time, yeah, I've been able to. I, I am the guy that's pushing rents. Right. I am the guy that's you know causing the profitability to increase. And um, I actually had I have a friend who's a realtor broker. Actually, he owns his own brokerage. And uh, up until about five years ago, he had a property management division and didn't sell it. He just closed it. And I was like, why, why did you oh do that? Oh, my gosh. So many people would love to buy it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. he, I, I said, well, why, why did you end up doing that? I mean, that's the, it aligns really well with your business model, being a realtor and having the contacts and all this other stuff. He says, uh, his, his quote to me was, I don't have the personality for it. So there's, there's a lot that goes into a, being a property manager. And just because you're a realtor or even a broker, or have your own brokerage, that doesn't mean that you should be in the property management game. So I think you need you need to know a little bit about yourself mm-hmm. as well to know yeah. if you can if you can stomach <clears throat> dealing with the both the good and the bad to right. come as a property manager. Well what I learned early on with me as my uh, with me as a property manager was that I could just it was very difficult for me to say no to somebody. Right. You and are not a good property manager. I found that out real, real clear. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I'd let people break their leases. Sure. Yeah. sure. Why not? It sounds reasonable. Right. I can probably get this re-rented. Yeah. yeah. Whatever you want to do. Yeah. It was just always, I was trying to please them before myself all the time mm-hmm. just to not cause an issue. Right. And the, I mean, I would have anxiety just oddly about like the weirdest, stupidest things like, Man, what if this fridge goes out because it's two years old now, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they call me, yeah, saying that the fridge isn't working? They're gonna sue me, <laughs> you know, stupid oh. things like that. <laughs> like I just don't have. Oh, what I'm also paying for is just the peace of mind that I I just don't even think about it. Sure, you don't get it's you not, don't get the phone calls. Period. I don't get any phone calls. Yeah. By the way, that fridge is working just fine still. It's been yeah. year. It's been five years. <laughs> oh. well, who knows? Could um, be, this could be the year. <laughs> yeah i'm prepared for it <laughs> right right but it's freed up my time and peace of mind to just go out and make real money sure um and i know someday you know someday when i have 100 rentals like 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 you maybe it'll be wiser to step in and maybe create a company because it might be cheaper to have an employee manage it versus just pay 
because I don't know how much in management fees. Like, if you were to just dump it on somebody else and pay eight uh, percent, would you it, be making would, somebody a fortune? Yes, and I'm honestly uh, so the 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 property that I'm under contract to buy right now is financed exclusively out of the property management fees that I charge myself. Okay, and, and I charge myself property management. That's good. Fees. You should. So it ends could, up being. Do you mind explaining why you should? Uh, to people that are curious why. Yeah. So I think from a, from a business management standpoint, first of all, it's it's good to ensure that you're budgeting for the property management fees. Secondarily, the reason I launch this whole property management company is it separates the ownership of the property from the management of a property. There's there there is some legal protection that mm-hmm. goes along with that. Uh, the last is it, it. I'm putting all of the employees are actually under the property management company as well, so the liability of having employees is separated. Lastly, um, we're we're giving the properties a write off for an expense, and the costs associated with running the property management company um, are very easy to track at that point. So it keeps, yeah. keeps it keeps bookkeeping really nice. And uh, ultimately, it just allows us to um, provide a, a kind of a cleaner organization that stays 100% above, uh, above board um, with how we're running everything. And, you know, there's, there's a ton of advantages to owning your own business. So I'm not going to go into all of those, but really what it comes down to is that if, you're, if you follow the rules the way they're written, you can be successful. And I think a lot of people try to go under the radar um, just because they don't know what the rules are. So right. there's, there's it, it, doing your due diligence and finding out what the rules are and then following them can be a benefit. Yeah. No, I totally agree. I, I remember my first three, four years in real estate, I tried to pay as little taxes as I could. Mm-hmm. Now I'd like to pay a little bit and yeah. actually do it properly. And I'm, you know, I, I pay myself as an employee of one yeah. of my companies. And yes, it just makes life so much easier. I can actually 100%. go get loans now. Hundred <laughs> percent. I mean, it's great to be able to just go refinance my house. Yes, and get a three percent interest rate. Right, and use that cheap money to go buy another investment. Yeah, and if I was just trying to play it cheap my whole career, mm-hmm. you can't just go. Well, you'd be paying. You'd be, you'd be paying, paying really high interest. <laughs> well, you'd be paying taxes as essentially an independent contractor all the time and self-employed. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, it's higher. Yeah, it would just higher. Yeah, yeah. So it's not in my experience so far. It's not worth being cheap as a real estate investor. What do you think about that? I don't think in so. In general, either. yeah, I, I think you know there the there are there are uh, business entities that have been created and, and are accessible to us that the federal government approves, the state government approves. So we, we should be utilizing those and um, running clean businesses. I'm, I'm 100% on game for that. Yeah. Do you have any, um, since you've got quite a bit of experience um, in remodeling, mm-hmm. um, do, you ever do, do you ever do any fix and flips or do you just hold everything? Uh yeah, I like rent so much. I very rarely sell properties. Smart man. So, <laughs> I have I have done fix and flips, um, but it's pretty rare. And right. you know, usually, usually it's because the the re- the final repair value when when you 
put it all into into kind of a final package, uh, the total investment versus the rent that I'm getting produces, a, I guess, a low cap rate, a low return. So in that case, I might be sitting on, like, say, fifty or eighty or a hundred thousand dollars in equity that I might as well just get rid of and and divest. But um, because because I'm only going to be pulling in X number of dollars in rent. So, but if if I can if I consistently today if I can pull close to that one percent rule uh, on a on a finished project, I keep the property no matter what. I, Great. Yeah. So you you have your criteria that you've been sticking with since you first bought your very first. And investment. it's and it's <laughs> becoming harder to follow that rule. Right. So. Yeah. So the other thing that I look at is because um, this this can inform the uh, the purchase is what the rebuild cost is. That's important. Uh, so your purchase per square foot, that kind of stuff. So a lot of a lot of residential is going for uh, up to two hundred bucks or more a square foot right now. Hmm. Um, so you could just build. So if I, yeah, if I can keep, so this, this is actually my development argument at this point. So I own some vacant land that I've been putting off building because up until 2016, which was my last big, uh, big purchase, all of my purchases, I've been able to buy the property at 50 to $75 a square foot. Given they, they may need to remodel, my total investment is still under a hundred dollars a square foot. Right. Why wouldn't I do that? That doesn't. It doesn't make sense to go and develop a property if your build cost is going to be a hundred to a hundred and twenty, twenty-five, dependent upon quality. Uh, I mean, if you can build at the, today, if you can build a property at a hundred bucks a square foot, you're doing pretty decent. Yeah, if you can do that, I don't know anyone who. It's tough. Who can? No, it's tough. And it, well, the thing is that that's that's for the building alone. That's not the property. So right, that's not the law. If you if your if your structure is at a hundred bucks a square foot or anywhere close to that, you're doing pretty decent. Yeah. And the only way you can do that is almost, you know, in my case, to be your own general. You start you start paying everybody out, and there's not a lot of money left, or or I guess other way around, your costs can skyrocket. For sure. <laughs> um. Yeah, buildings uh, in in the market that we're in, especially in North Idaho, I'm not I don't, I'm not as keen because you're you're mostly in Spokane, right? Mm-hmm. Pretty much all in Spokane. Yeah, all Washington. Washington. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, um, regionally around Spokane. Yeah. In in my market, it's definitely less expensive to build, depending on who your builder is and what mm-hmm. kind of connections you have. But I mean, you could make a killing just just building and selling it. But then there's a problem with where's all the land <laughs> it's so hard to find right a lot it's um it's a dogfight out there for it's interesting yeah for well there's a lot lately. of people looking to mm-hmm. come to idaho right now because you don't have to wear a mask not yet <laughs> not yet yeah i'm seeing ne- it more and more every day next week maybe <laughs> yeah man that's been a ride yeah i've always i um i haven't really been as concerned as i as i guess i should have and since this last week, yeah, I had a friend that actually just died from it. Oh, did you really? Mm-hmm. Well, kind of a friend. I mean, we've hung out a couple of times, but yeah, but still, like I mean, age, to, to know just... to know anybody really personally that 
has died from COVID is a big deal. You know, I, yeah. I, I know one person personally that had COVID, but he was the whole, you know, not feeling that great for a couple of weeks and then it improved fun. and he's cool. So, yeah. yeah. And I know one other guy, a friend of mine as well, my age. Yeah. Um, he got COVID back in February. I didn't know until just recently, but he got it back in February. Yeah. He also almost died. He was in, he was in the hospital for like 41 days. Wow. Um, and I didn't know about it until just a couple of weeks ago when he told me. Yeah. He kind of kept it on the down low. Right. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's interesting. Everybody on my Facebook, they claim that it's a conspiracy. <laughs> I think it's real <laughs> at this point. I know two people are. It's well, I, I, I think, I think, uh, it, it is real. It's, uh, <laughs> it's one of those cost benefit arguments though. You know, right. I mean, if you if you're looking at it, just oh, that's from, a long discussion. Just from the numbers. Yeah, if you're looking <laughs> yeah. at it just from the numbers, um, how much damage are we doing to our economy? That, yeah, and and what's versus... what's the value of human life versus the value of the economy? There, you can't win the argument, no matter which side you're on. No, so. it's not even worth talking about. <laughs> you're just gonna make people angry on both sides, <laughs> <laughs> no matter what. You say. Like I said, you can't win the argument, no matter which side you're on. <laughs> yeah. I'm not picking a side. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just going to Neither walk. am I. <laughs> I'm just yeah, going to hope for the best. When when I go out in Washington, I wear a mask. Yeah. So. It's very responsible of you. Sure. I've worn a mask twice. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> uh, anyway, so what are your future plans now? I, no, you got a bank under contract. Yeah. What do you, you plan to do with that? We're buying a bank building, and we're actually going to run um, – we'll be running our property management company – as well as the construction company, so oh okay, out of, out of that. So, so you're gonna so you're gonna use it for your business. It's going yeah. Office. We're gonna be we're gonna be single single occupant in the building for now. Nice. Uh, it's a big, total square foot. It's actually a really big building. So so you got some vaults you can. I have three, throw your throw your yeah, checks in. Any, yeah, if anybody's <laughs> looking for you know some very secure storage, I have three vaults. Nice large vault. Two, one of them is huge. Um, but yeah, we have like, like three big vault safes yeah. that we're, that are in the building. So it's, it's interesting. Um, and, uh, you know, down, down, down the road, we may end up, uh, doing something else with the building, but for now it's, uh, as far as investments go, it's a solid investment. I'm buying, I'm buying a bank, which is the total square footage in the building is 8,800 square feet or very, very close that's to That's a very that. large bank. Okay. It's got a full basement in it. And that's uh-huh. where two of, the, two of the basement or two of the vaults are in the basement. And um, 8,800 square feet, and I'm buying it for under $50 a square foot. So that's how I made my decision. All right. So. Very nice. Are you yeah. going to sublease parts within the office? We could. Yeah, we. I, I, I made the deal based upon... Uh, the price per square foot and the fact that we do need at this point we're we've grown to the point where having uh, some sort of retail type front or you know clean office space to meet makes you can sense. Have tenants come in and not just tenants like business meetings and things okay. like that I mean for me uh, the, we have so many systems in place at this point with our tenants uh, we can run it out we have like full office in our basement Um but because uh, we run a lot of the tenants are paying by ACH, we don't deal with a lot of cash. We don't deal with a lot of personal checks. We don't deal with the USPS a lot. I yeah. mean, we've, we've digitized, digitized the business. That's great. A lot. 
uh, to the point where we we really don't need it. It's more of a convenience. Mm -hmm. But um, you know, as a property investor as well, having a bank on uh, on a on a major north south corridor in Spokane. Uh, where I can advertise and yeah. where I can have people come in who are looking to sell their house. And um, I also do hard money lending. Okay. And so, you know, I'm a, I'm a cash buyer. I'm a hard money lender. I'm a contractor. I'm a property manager. Um, you know, you kind of name it. If it's an, if it's part of real estate, I like to be in the deal. So, so do you do of any sense. of these services for the public or is it all just for you? Except for, I'm guessing, the hard money lending. That question. Yeah. <laughs> Other than the hard money lending, that's a given. Um, the oh, con- are you talking about the the property management? Yeah, property so, management, yeah. property management, contracting. Right. All the, I would imagine we you're do, your number one client, right? I'm my number one client. We do um, remodels. Yeah, we do. We okay, do re- so you, we do residential remodels. Do residential remodels, and um, that's part of the reason that I'm looking at adding crew members at this point is because. Um, it's it's picking up a little steam you know when you do quality work people talk and um a lot of our a lot of our work is on referral okay so um you know the fact that i'm looking at adding two employees means something i guess um and the the synergy of having the commercial building will help to facilitate that growth as well uh related to property management because i am not a real estate agent I'm not allowed to be a property manager in Washington State. In Idaho, I can do anything I want. It's the Wild West. In fact, I, heck, I might as well expand to Idaho and be a property <laughs> manager in Idaho because I have all the systems down. Okay. Um, but we're not we're not ready to do that. Yeah. We could. Like tomorrow, I could be in Idaho. I just register sure, in easily. Idaho, and I can sure. start banging doors. I don't even think you have to register. Huh? I don't think you have to register. <laughs> You just I have to. Say I have to let the. I, I you just, I, well, you got to go to Vista Print and print off some cards. Is that all it takes? I think so. I think I'll, maybe I'll, you don't have to. You can just tell people. I'll just. <laughs> how, why don't I just? I can use my own printer though. I can do that too. Yeah. I guess you could. And I'll just start get the sc- get the scissors out, start cutting business cards myself. I'm being great. facetious, of course. But yeah. yeah. No, um, um, so. Anyway, so along that line, I can t- so today I can only manage for myself. But we have a we have a broker, kind of in the wings uh, that we're we're aligning with mm-hmm. to be able to manage other people's property, and that's part of the 2020 growth plan. Okay. Uh, my my wife is actually 90% through her real estate education at this point. So she's going to be the primary agent for us. Okay. Um, and then we're going to be aligning with a broker and open for business to manage other people's property because um, I've been asked multiple times if I can manage other people's property and I have to decline. So this this opens a door. Um, and, you know, from the from the standpoint of how we manage, I think it's it's also a unique position that I come from in that. I'm not managing properties as a real estate agent looking to manage properties. Right. I'm managing properties as an investor and looking for returns on investment. And to to manage other people's properties with that same mentality is protective of their investment. You know, I'm looking at their return on investment just as much as they are. Yeah. You've got enough seasoned experience to know what to look out for. That maybe a brand yes. new property manager who owns nothing 
but can legally I, manage your property. Right. I, I yeah. Probably I, wouldn't be ideal situation. I would I would go toe to toe with somebody like that all day long. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, the the agents that that had this property listed are from a large bro the, or the the bank that uh, that I bought are from a large commercial brokerage in Spokane, and they. As the more they more they learned about me, they were like, "Oh my gosh, you like, you got yourself figured out." So it's um, when they're offering that, I don't I don't go into any deal being like, like "Look at me" type mm-hmm. stuff. But they started asking questions, and they're like, "Wait a second, you do what? You do what? You do what?" And they by the by the time that we were under contract, they're asking me to be a hard money lender for some of their investors, and I was like, <laughs> "Huh." I, you know, sometimes I don't, I don't yeah. even realize sometimes what the, what the need in the market is, but because I've prepared myself and I have the capacity to meet the market demand when the opportunity presents, I think is my biggest strength. Right. So I don't know what the opportunity is all the time, but when I see it, I can jump on it. So you're a professional opportunist. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> uh, and I'm. I get opportunist and I'm, I'm also really positive. I'm, I'm, you know, forward thinking. I'm, I I don't come to, I don't, I don't come to really any day with a negative mindset. I I look for the opportunity every day. Nice. What are some of the biggest mistakes you've ever made that you would just warn investors to watch out for? If there's anything that comes to mind. Um, I've been pretty fortunate. I'll just have to say that. I, I think as far as advice goes, I think a lot of realtors would give this advice as well as, you know, don't buy something because you love it, especially as an investor. Mm -hmm. Be willing to walk away from a deal, even if you like the property, if the numbers don't work. Um... And I've seen, I actually, have, I've seen a lot of investors over time um, try to make a deal work so hard that when it was all said and done, they made a bad deal. Right. Because they were just looking for a deal so bad. Um, and I say no a lot. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm reasonably well connected with the wholesalers and things like that in Spokane. And they'd all love to sell me a property as a cash buyer. But I would say, I say yes a a half a percent of the time. One out of 200 maybe. I I pull the trigger on, yeah. Yeah. What's your main source of deals, if you don't mind sharing? Or what's Um, what's worked best for you in the past? So I... Lately is probably tough, but... Yeah, I prefer prefer multifamily, but... um, so do you so, mean just something off the MLS multifamily? Is that what you mean? No, 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 no. Okay. Uh, I, I, I guess from, from a source standpoint, I've got them all over the place. So like this commercial deal that I'm closing on the bank, uh, that was, you know, commercial MLS. Oh, okay. So that wasn't, that wasn't an off market deal. I Is just, that like a loop net deal? Huh? Um, I'm trying to think. No, I actually drove past it. it okay. Driving for dollars, if you want to call it that. <laughs> <laughs> but I wasn't even planning on it. This is because it's a bank. You know, obviously, yeah. I knew the property was there, and I've seen it over the years. I've driven past it hundreds and hundreds of times, and a lot of the properties that I see that I potentially would be interested in buying, 
have for lease signs on them and the seller has you know ridiculous ideas about what they want if they were to sell it right this one happened you know it was it, it sat for lease for a little while and then the day that I drove by I noticed that the for lease sign had turned into a for sale sign um, so I, I pulled the trigger I, I ultimately I, I I looked to see you know I just I, my wife and I text back and forth regularly about you know what properties we see but that doesn't mean that we take any action on it at all in this case I, I saw the building she texted me back because she looked the property up for me and said hey here's the price and I was like okay we need to look at that at, at that price and um, you know it, it, it's a little bit of a redevelopment project because there's no access to the basement other than by stairs so i'm actually considering putting an elevator into the oh, okay. end of the property because that that opens up another four thousand square feet for regular daily use um so what kind of cost is an elevator do you have any idea i i've only uh done soft investigations on uh -huh. what an investor uh, what a an elevator would cost and you know if it's only going up or down in this case one floor uh i've heard and i i hope i don't sound stupid but i've i've heard that it's uh around twenty five thousand dollars okay and on a building Probably not something you can get on amazon prime uh, well, it would be worth looking <laughs> up kidding. you know um yeah so i mean in for an eight thousand square foot building a twenty five thousand dollar investment is a not too pretty bad. pretty decent return on investment as far as I'm concerned. I mean, that's a new staircase anyway. Yeah. Sometimes, right. <laughs> depending on the grade. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if I, if you know, if, if I've misquoted... grade staircase. <laughs> yeah, if I've misquoted the price, you know, don't shoot me. But, you know, honestly... Soft I would, investigations. Yeah, don't I would see. probably... Well, the reason I looked at a, an elevator is actually we've been looking at commercial properties for a while. And I had looked at another property that was built like 1920-ish that had staircase only going upstairs. So it wasn't a basement. So we were looking at what it would take to add an elevator. And uh, that in that case, the previous owner of the property that we didn't buy in this particular case yeah. had told me that she had done the investigation. And she was told that for 25 grand, she could get an elevator in that other building. So I'm kind of taking loose numbers from a third party source and applying it to this new building. But, you know, to be perfectly honest, even if the cost were $50,000 um, to open up an entire floor for uh, additional use yeah, uh, and, could and, be worth and it. accessibility yeah. could, could be worth it. So, um, you know, that's, and it would actually, it would actually be an elevator right down into a vault. So, you know, do like key access only, like, you know, a little private room down there type yeah. thing. Yeah. Could be like a club. <laughs> yeah. Could be. Hey, investors, come store your silver here. Yeah. <laughs> Do you invest in any, like, precious metals or anything like that? Um, so, no. I, I've actually, part of one of the hard money loans that I did, um, I, I had the collateral was silver. So I had a, I had a huge bunch of silver uh, that I was hanging on to for a while. And uh, interestingly, that, that person... Um, when the loan came due, couldn't come up with the cash. And hmm. so I ended up keeping the silver, but, um, I only kept it for like six months and waited for the silver price to spike and ended up selling it, which 
made me another like three thousand dollars in profit. So gotcha. on to, on top of what I got in interest. <clears throat> okay. So I'm not against it. Yeah. I just love. So that's pro- interesting. I love, so you did I love a hard real estate way more. <laughs> so you did a hard money loan collateral. So was that like a cross collateral? No it thing, was, or was it a real estate? It was. Loan? Oh, oh no, no, it was. So yeah, it was. It was not real estate based. If it was oh, okay. real estate based, I would use the real estate as my collateral. Okay. So I would use the property as my collateral. I wonder if that this, was just like their down payment. <laughs> it was no. In this case, it was a guy that was starting a new business. Okay. And he he needed seed money to start the new business. Right. But I don't, you know, I'm I'm not going to loan on a build out and a new business or anything like materials or tools or whatever else because if you if you default on that, what am I going to do? Come and take your cabinetry or your tools or your inventory right. or stuff like that? It's too hard for me. I I don't want to deal with that stuff. But I but I like real estate mm-hmm. and uh, silver or any kind of any kind of hard asset is really easy to loan against. So in this case, you know, he was asking for a loan to start the business. And I said, I'm fine loaning the money, but you don't have anything that I'm willing to loan against. And magically, he came up with a whole bunch of silver he'd been sitting on for a long time. And that's what we used. And originally, he didn't want to sell the silver. He could have just sold it and funded his own business build out. But uh, when it came down to it, his business didn't grow as fast as he wanted it to, which happens a lot in yeah. business sometimes. I'm going through that so, right now with the side business I'm working on. Yeah, mm-hmm. and um, you know because he had because he had funded it with that collateral, I said, "Look, it's your your call. I'm not even a mean hard lender. I didn't say you know you pay me or I'm taking your. I, I actually held on to the silver. That was I physically had the silver in hand." Um, I gave him an op- option to extend the loan, and he said, you know what, I, I, I'd rather just have a clean conscience and know that it's paid off, and he chose to essentially default on the silver, which okay. was a perfectly reasonable solution as far as I was concerned. Yeah. Okay. Um, do you, do you uh, other than real estate, do you invest in any other types of assets, um, paper assets, stocks, um uh, I have, yeah, I, I have, I invest in, in stock, I guess. So I have, I'm in the stock market, but not nearly as heavy. It's, it's more of a diversity yeah. move for me. Um, to the point where I would say it's more like a, uh, maybe 10% of my assets are in the stock market. Okay. Um, and then the rest is real estate, real estate yep. or and then I, I obviously carry notes on hard money loans but that that's still a real estate investment as far as i'm concerned gotcha so what what's your what's your favorite thing to do then is it hard money lending is it contracting buying a new investment property i i like i like that the physical properties the most I think my wife would potentially argue that um, hard money lending is her favorite. Really? Okay. Um, I think, you know, she she's doing a lot for the business, um, meaning that, you know, as as we look at how the business is run, I deal with the people in the property, uh, and she deals with all the back end stuff. She's running she's running the office. She's running the the lease renewals and the tenant stuff, and even to the point where you know we have we have. Even though we have systems in place, 
um, tenants put work orders in, you know, on our website, where does that go first? It doesn't go to me. Mm-hmm. It goes to her. And so she's kind of dispatching that out to our crew to make sure that they're going and taking care of the tenant stuff. But when we do hard money loans, nobody calls and complains that the toilet's having a problem or, the, <laughs> yeah. or, the, or you know, like whatever right. it may be or that the, the neighbors are too loud or whatever you want to say, you know, that kind of stuff. There are no so physical it's problems. Pretty clean, it's a pretty <laughs> clean return as long as you don't have problems on the hard money loan. Um, but, but that being said, it's, you know, it's, it's just paper yeah, and it's just money. Um, I, I, I'm a little bit more connected in the, in the business, meaning that I, I do know a majority of the tenants. It's very rare that I am not familiar with a tenant at all. Um, I, I usually know them and have met them at least once Okay. before they move into the property. So I guess one more, one more question, if you don't mm-hmm. mind, when you, when you self-manage 80 plus units, mm-hmm. Is it hard to remember all these people in your head or do you keep like a good database and notes of your tenant, like their, their yeah. families and like what's their situation, their job? Like, do you have all this sure. just in your head? No, no. And, or, um, so I, I very rarely know anything more after a tenant moves in, you know, by the time we get, you know, even honestly, some of them, I don't even know what they do for work because I don't do the background checks. Okay. I just know who generally who they are, but our database is really good. Now, my wife, my wife probably knows more about the tenants than I do mm-hmm. from just like uh, kind of a personal information standpoint, but for her to identify the tenant at the property would be very difficult because okay. she doesn't, she doesn't meet a lot of the people. Um, I, I end up showing up to the property and with the crew, you know, and I kind of direct traffic with the guys when they're doing work. So I, I interact with tenants in that way. But, um, I don't, I don't, I don't get involved in people's lives, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, I have, I have enough to think about with my own. And, And the thing is, I think there's a lot of, so there's a, there's a personality to the business which I think is nice. I think tenants appreciate that there's a personality to the business. Um, however, I don't dig into how they live their life, which I think tenants also appreciate. Yeah. So right. it's kind of the kind of that, that blend of not feeling like you're just, you know, throwing money into this like empty bucket. You know, like where does this money go? Who 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 is this person that owns this property? That kind of stuff. Right. Um, and I think that's been, to be perfectly honest, I think that's been advantageous for me over the years because not every tenant has a perfect employment record. Not every tenant has, you know, um, uh, you know, the ability to go 12 months in a row without making a, a late payment. And I have over the years had a number of tenants that we had to, essentially end their lease on, not not necessarily evict, but say, hey, we came to an agreement, and that actually has saved me money as well because I haven't had to evict them. So we come mm-hmm. to an agreement, say, hey, you, you haven't paid rent, you're not employed anymore, you know you're not going to be able to pay rent, I know you're not going to be, be, be able to pay rent, how are we going to resolve this? And 
giving them a smooth way out, giving them a respectful way out, um, has landed me checks in the mail from former tenants that have been gone for six months, a year. Really? And it's so surprising. You know, the the humanity that goes into that yeah. is amazing that, you know, you show somebody respect and there's there's a lot of respect that goes into it when somebody sends you a check and they don't even live in Washington anymore. Yeah, and that's they're like, a... hey, here's my twenty one hundred dollars I owe you. You did you did something right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then again, I mean, you know that that's the, so you're just those willing are, to have a conversation and figure things out with somebody. Yes, but I but but I'm but I'm also you know it's it's a business. Yeah, and you have to run it as a business. You can't there there's no there's no you know like uh, to your point like I I don't I don't make exceptions. We have pretty clean rules on how the business is run. So there's no. Um, you know, preferential treatment from tenant to tenant, but right. the processes that we have in place are pretty clean as well, where I don't feel like I need to use the court system to come to a resolution. Um, in fact, that's, I, I avoid that as often as right. I can. So like if you're making a mortgage payment, your lender, say Wells Fargo, mm-hmm. they don't typically just let a payment slide if you can't come up with it. Yeah. <laughs> like say, some, uh, it, it, that's, you sound like you're having a rough, yeah. Rough time there. Don't worry this month. Just get it caught up. Mm-hmm. There's none of that. None yeah. of that with Wells Fargo. So why would it, Why would you do that? <laughs> but they might work with you instead of just foreclosing immediately. Sure. Yeah. We'll I think figure that, something out. How do, you get, how do you get caught up? Sure. And I think the banks, especially with this COVID thing, I think, you know, there, there's been, I think there was a lot of learning, honestly, coming out of the, the 08 crash. Yeah. Um, and legislation has, is requiring banks to be more forgiving than they have in the past. But I think the way businesses are run are, are actually becoming more consumer friendly, um, which is also good, you know, cause yeah. a lot of these big organizations, big banks, um, ended up, ended up ruining some people's lives last go around. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right. Uh, any other fun tips for investors, maybe, or property managers out there that you have any fun secrets you want to share um, on how to make your lives easier? From Obviously, a, going all digital. Yeah, going all. Yeah, we. That's that's actually probably been the biggest thing. So, um, if you, if you have the capacity and and you have the volume to be able to justify. Um, organizing an ACH type transfer bank to bank yeah and and allowing tenants to play that pay so that is that way. different than to like cozy it's actually very similar very but similar okay yeah but your so, own software but what we do the way we organize it is we get clearance and we have everybody on an auto pay scenario so it literally like on the first of every month it's it's an automatic transfer and we don't have to deal with a third party um, okay. so, and that's, there, there are, there's a, there are a lot of good tools out there. So cozy is a great one. And I think cozy is a great one. Uh, if you just have a, a, a few rentals, again, I I've grown to the point where it makes sense for us to kind of take some of this stuff internally for, uh, mm-hmm. for our own business. But yeah, that kind of stuff, any, any systems that you can put in place, don't be afraid to pay a lawyer for protecting yourself. 
uh, I think that's a, a big one because especially with the changes in the landlord tenant acts and I think we're going to see more come down uh, from kind of government uh, wanting wanting to uh, have their have their their fingers in the game right. a little bit. Mm-hmm. That, any, any attorneys that you recommend in this Spokane area? Uh, yeah, I'll name names. I, I use Mac Mayo. Um, okay. He's actually he moved to a, a, a larger firm, but he, he was a single attorney. That um, he's been he's been very responsive. So much like I'm trying, uh, I I have a personality to my business. Mm-hmm. Mac does a really good job of uh, managing his customers and being accessible. Uh, there's a lot of good lawyers out there, yeah, but not a lot of lawyers that are willing to have you text and will oh, actually, yeah. you know, give you a quick answer on oh, small this stuff. This text will cost you seventeen dollars. Yeah, yeah, that, <laughs> yeah. that kind of stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. um, and and he's he's honestly um, he he gets he gets a, a lot of the problems that we have if we have any or or questions that we have. That's great. And it's in it's reasonable. You know, he charges lawyer rates, which you would expect. But it's not, I don't feel like I'm nickel and dime and nickel and dimed along the way right. where it's, you know, we get a bill at the end of the month. They don't, you know, he's not like, Hey, thanks for meeting me for, for half an hour before you walk out the door. Uh, here's the check you need to write that kind of right. stuff, you know? <laughs> um, so we get a bill at the end of the month if we have anything. And, and if we don't have anything going on that month, it's nothing, you know? So it's a, it's pretty, pretty clean working relationship. Okay. Great. Well, thank you. Sure. I appreciate you doing this. I know we could probably just talk for hours, but we got to end it yeah. at some point and go sure. home. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> well, thanks for having yeah. me. Yeah, it was nice coming in. I appreciate it. Thanks. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. See you next time. Thanks for tuning in to the Investor Shed Podcast. Please like the video and subscribe to the channel for instant access to all future episodes. If you or someone you know has investing experience or stories to share, reach out to us in the comments or via email.